up, everybody? I want to welcome all of you all out to the podcast today. On today's Revivinary podcast episode, I will be discussing the unhappiness that many perceive in the life of believers. What I mean by the unhappiness that people perceive is why is it that sometimes the people who claim to know the Lord are some of the meanest, rudest, and unhappiest people that you ever meet? Yeah, we'll go into detail and discuss everything um, you know, further as we go along. But where I want us to start here this afternoon is with the idea that some people have that in order for you to be a true and genuine believer in the Lord, you have to be miserable, unhappy, and you have to make sure that anyone you talk to understands just how miserable and unhappy they should be because of how rotten, awful, and stinking that the world around us is. Now, I don't know how you feel, but I don't exactly enjoy being around people that are miserable. I know they say that misery loves company. I don't want to keep company with that. That is not at all how I want to live my life. I understand that life is difficult and there will be times that come in my life when I will be unhappy, but I do not want that to be my static, normal mode of life. I think as a believer, we should be not only happy, but we should also be joyful and at peace. And let me explain to you why I say this. Earlier today, I saw a, a picture that someone had shared, and it really got to me. I mean, it really, really got to me. It said, we are a sad generation with happy pictures. Man, think about that for a moment. We are a sad generation with happy pictures. When you think about the world without Christ, we try to fill our lives with all sorts of activity, all sorts of, of, of excitements, pleasures, things that will take our mind off of the truth of just how broken and, and sorrowful that we are. But what really got to me about this, this quote was I thought about how many believers this could apply to. So many happy pictures. Well, think about social media. Everyone has to share a picture of everything because, you know, as they say, if you don't take a picture of it or if you don't take a selfie, if you don't post about it, well, it didn't happen. But a lot of what we post pictures about didn't happen either. We idealize, we stylize our our life experiences and the events that take place, and we try to, to, to capture that same image that we saw someone else post. We try to capture that same picture, that same feeling that we see when we look at the pictures of other people, but the truth is there may not have been any joy in their pictures either. 
But what about the believer? What about the believer and the joy that the believer has? Well, I mean, for anybody who has a basic understanding of Christianity, we know that the joy of the believer is not based on anything in this world because everything in this world is passing, it's fleeting. It will not last forever. Uh, now, the Bible says you can enjoy the pleasure of sin for a season, but that season will pass. Everything, as uh, Solomon wrote, everything has its season. But for the believer, there is a foundation upon which we build our lives. Our joy is not built on anything in this world. Our joy is built on an eternal foundation, a rock that does not move. And that rock that we build on is the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, Paul writes to the church at Corinth. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 6 through 10. It says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. That means we are happy. We are, we are confident. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. What, what Paul means there is that while we are in this body, we are away from the Lord, but we know that we will not always be away from the Lord. We know by faith we see that one day we will be with him and we will be in his presence. And because of that, he says in verse 8, yes, we are of good courage, meaning we are happy, we are joyful, we are at peace, we are excited even about the fact that one day we will no longer be in our earthly bodies here on this earth, on this planet, but we will one day be in the presence of, of Jesus Christ, not away from him as we are now, but we will see him face to face. And Paul says we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. But even though we long for the day when we'll be with the Lord, we don't go around moping and, and full of anger and sadness and sorrow. No, we are of good courage meaning we, we have joy. We have joy whether we are here or whether we are there because while we are here, we have the hope that one day we'll be there. And when we are there, our hope will be fulfilled. So whether we're there or whether we're not, we have good courage. We have joy. And Paul writes in verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Now, that's an interesting statement, he says. We make it our aim to please him. Now, this is going to be my, my first point I want to make about this idea of the unhappy Christian. How do you interpret what Paul wrote, what I just read? Whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. What, I, what do I mean by how do you interpret that? Well, I mean, how do you read that? Do you read that? like this. Now, I'm going to use, you know, some uh, some 
little bit of acting here. I'm going to accentuate some things, and I want to see if you can pick up on what I'm saying. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Is that how you read it? Or do you read it like this? So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to, to please him. Why do I ask you how you interpret that? Because how you interpret that verse is going to lay the groundwork for how you will interpret everything else that we read in verses 10 and verse 11. I want to pause in, in the reading for just a second and say, say a few things. Are you terrified of the day that you meet the Lord? Do you have fear? Are you afraid that maybe, just maybe, at, at the point of your death, He is going to turn on you. He's going to resist you. He's going to reject you. He's, he's not going to receive you into to eternity because of some thought you may have had or some uh, frustrated word you may have spoken. Do you have complete and total peace about your salvation? Or do you live your life every day scared to death? that you're going to say something or do something, and Jesus is going to disavow you. You see, that's how many people in the church live their everyday life. They're either loosey-goosey or scaredy-wearedy. They're either, well, I don't care. I can't be perfect anyway. Or it's, Oh my goodness, I just heard that sermon about hell and I've got to get my life straight for the 409,670 11th time. Or do you have peace that when you surrendered yourself to the Lord Jesus and said, Lord, I know that you, by your mercy and grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you and you alone have opened my eyes to the truth. And because of your love and your mercy, because of your goodness to me, you have allowed me to see the truth, the error of my ways, meaning I know I cannot earn, I cannot gain, I cannot purchase salvation, redemption, because in order for me to do so, I would have to be able to pro provide, to produce perfection, and that is impossible for me. It's all because of what you have done for me. And you have shown me that I was lost in my sin, but you have also revealed to me your unbelievable mercy and grace. And I know that because of the love of God and because of your willingness to do what only you could do because of your love for me, I am born again. Not through anything I've done, but all because of what you have done for me. Now, I want to read this verse again. Whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. How do we please the Lord? How do we please Him? Well, some people say you, you, you better make sure you do everything the way that He says to do it or He's going to be angry. I think we sometimes misunderstand what it means to please a father.
because of experiences that we have maybe had with the earthly fathers. A father loves his child, wants the best for the child, provides for the child. Yes, a father will discipline and teach the child, but it is not the intent of the father to break or injure the child. The last thing he wants is for the child to suffer, especially suffer lifelong debilitation because of the inability of a father to do a good job. You're, I want to be very careful. I even felt kind of weird saying that because the idea that God the Father would mess up and break us it's, that's insane. That's, that's insanity. He is a good father. He is perfect. He is full of mercy and love and grace. And yes, there is coming a day when God will judge and God will do what is almost un. Well, I mean, it is unfathomable for us to imagine him in his righteousness judging the nations, judging every person who has not believed on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That is, it is certainly not something that I want to, to, to dwell on much because I can't, I can't fathom it. It could never, I could never perceive that. But I think sometimes we forget that it is not his children that he's judging. It's the lost. Now, I know that, that we don't really forget that. I'm being a little, I'm kind of being a little, little sneaky, sneaky there. What I mean is sometimes people who proclaim to be believers are not truly believers because they've heard a false gospel. Not the real gospel, but a false gospel. Here's what I mean. We hear a lot of teaching, preaching, and stuff uh, in today's culture about how that we we are, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? We are uh, corrupting the gospel because we're watering it down, and all we want to talk about is love. Well, now, I'll... I'll see your I'll I'll see your bet and I'll I'll raise you one. You're, there's truth in that. It's not all about uh, love, 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 love. Now here here follow me. Don't 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 close out the podcast. Let me finish what I'm saying. It's everything about our Christianity is love. It is the love of God that prevents us from experiencing the judgment of God. Now, as a father, God will correct us. I, hear me out. When God corrects us, we, as the, as the writer of Hebrews says, no son, no daughter, no child enjoys the discipline of the parent. But the purpose of the discipline of the parent is not to wound, injure, or debilitate the child. It is to make the child better. It is to prevent the child from making further mistakes. So yes, there are times when you're going to hear me preaching and you're going to say, my goodness, he is stomping on my toes. That is not 
the Holy Spirit trying to beat you up. That is the Holy Spirit getting your attention, correcting you for the purpose of perfecting you, for the purpose of you knowing and experiencing the unbelievable love of God. So, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please them, to please the Father. If you've got kids, you'll understand this next statement. If you really want to please your parents, now, listen, if you have children who might be in the vehicle at this moment, or if you would like to go back and play this in front of your children, that's fine. It's $5 a play, and you can pay me in Venmo. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Listen, if you have children, what pleases you is this. When your children do what you say. Yeah? <laughs> Parents, do you, do you feel me on that? What pleases a parent is when you do what they say. Do you know why that pleases the parent? Because they're mean dictators. No, because the parent is telling you something that they know is going to prevent heartache, pain, loss in your life. And when you do what they say, it pleases them, not because they have control over you. They don't want to control you. They want to prepare you so that you can be strong and independent and able to care for yourself and then to pass on the teaching that they have given to you, to your children. Now, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him means I am so happy. I am because when I, when I mess up, God is going to help me. He's going to correct me so that I can grow, so that I can achieve, so that I can produce. And some of you don't know the love of a father. And I hate that. I do. I hate that. That breaks my heart. But a father is not a mean, grumpy man that complains about everything, always critical, always putting you down, always finding fault, that's not a father. That's not a true father. And that certainly, certainly is not a description of our Father in heaven. Now Paul goes on and he writes, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now we know that if there's anything good that we have done, it's because of what he has done in us. Now the book of Revelation tells of people receiving crowns of glory. And it says that those, those people took those crowns and they placed them at his feet. Because they have not done any good deeds. It was Christ in us, working in us, and producing any good that we do. And any evil, Paul will write later in another letter and say, all that, all that is evil will be burned up 
like, like chaff. All of our sin is forgotten, it is erased, it is, is, is removed as far as the east is from the west. There, there will be no, no fear that you and I as a believer in Jesus Christ will have to, that we'll ever have to replay the mistakes that we've made because the Father in His great love and mercy, when we sinned against Him, He corrected us. And unlike earthly fathers, earthly mothers, who unfortunately will sometimes bring up the mistakes of your past your whole life, your Father in heaven never will. Jesus as the judge is not intent on embarrassing you and bringing up everything that you've ever done. I want to I want to take a pastoral pause for just one second and I want to want to say something. I remember one time uh, talking with an individual and they said when they were younger that they can remember when the when the preacher would be trying to set the place on fire, you know, they'd really be going at it. And they would talk about how all of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And the preacher would tell how that you men, young men and women need to live right because one day you're going to stand in the presence of Jesus and he's going to have a film of everything you've ever done in your life. And there you're going to be in front of your grandma, your mama, all your family, and all the church. And they're going to see every deed that you ever did in darkness. Now I want to ask you a question. I don't know how many of you out there are theology majors. I'm not sure how many of you all are doctors of doctrine. But I would like to ask you a quick question here. I would like to raise... Pose a question here. How does that teaching line up with Scripture? Now, doesn't the Bible say that if we confess our sin, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Does it not also say that he casts our sin as far away as the east is from the west, never to be remembered anymore? So how does that jive with the scare tactic that you're going to one day watch a video replay of every sin that's ever you've ever committed? My goodness gracious. That would be terrifying for all of us, wouldn't it? All of us. Let me tell you what would be real terrifying. Is when you had to watch your grandma's video get played. Y'all, man, your granny may have been bad. You don't want to see that mess. Now think about this. If you are taught, if you have it slammed in your head that you are always under the, 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 the watchful eye, the thumb of big brother, Jesus. And he's always watching every move you make so that he can keep a list, so that he can attack you, so that he can put together this video montage to absolutely destroy you. 
because he's got to, he'll let you into heaven. Come on, man. Could that be the root of some of the unhappiness in people who proclaim or or claim to profess the name of Christ? Could that be the root of some of the unhappiness? Man, listen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do not, please, man, I'm begging you, do not cheapen the love and the mercy of God. Do not cheapen, please do not denigrate the unbelievable goodness of God and how he has treated us, his people. Don't, don't do that. Don't turn the love of God into this little small fragment this glimmer of mercy and grace where God so loved the world, but he only loved it enough. He only loved you and I enough to, to just begrudgingly pinch open the door of heaven to let us slide in. But, but man, is he going to make us feel bad before we do? Boy, is he going to make sure we know that we are rotten and awful and I don't even know why I'm letting you in here, but I'm going to let you in. Now, you, now listen, you probably are getting angry at me for talking like this. But how angry do you think I am when I hear this kind of garbage being preached? Oh, it's not preached out in the open. It's through innuendo and through, through uh, little, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Little hooks. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Tell me where in these verses, John 3.16 and John 3.17, show me where the, the continual unhappiness of the believer and the cons- consistent regret of the believer produce one iota of life. It's not there. Not there at all. Nowhere. It's nowhere to be found in there. God so loved the world. What is the love of God? Is the love of God this idea that, well, I guess I just don't want to not be able to do something with with, with eternity. I'll let, I'll let these people in. No. That's not at all how it is. That may be your earthly experience with your, with your father, but that is not God the Father. But God so loved the world that he willingly gave his only begotten son that whosoever simply believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says that this life that we have, this life that we live is in the Son. It is in Jesus that we have this life. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. If you knew the Father, he said to the Pharisees, you would know me because I am one with the Father. I don't say or do anything he doesn't say or do. So back to what Paul writes to the church at Corinth when he talks about the good courage that we have, the joy, the happiness, the confidence that we would Rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Have you ever, have you ever had a time in your life when you said, I just want to go home and see my mom and my dad. That's going to make everything feel better. I understand some of you have not known that. 
I get that. And again, like I say, I ha- I've said before, I hate that. But have you ever said, if I could just talk to mom, if I could just talk to dad, maybe your grandparents, if I could just talk to my grandparents, I know I would feel better. If I could just talk to my aunt, my uncle, whoever that person may be, if I could just talk to them, if only, if only I could just talk to them. That's the idea that Paul is, or the point, I mean, the illustration that Paul is given here. What Paul is saying is we long to be there in the presence of the Lord, to see him face to face. We're not afraid of that. We don't fear that. Not only are we not afraid of it, and not only do we not fear it, we, we long for it. We look forward to that day. So, back to the point here. What, what does it say? about the believer who is always miserable and terrible and awful acting, unhappy. Now, just to be blunt, sometimes, sometimes that unhappiness is the product of bad teaching and preaching, okay? Sometimes that, unfortunately, is the reason. Now, on the other hand, you know, it's the individual has to take responsibility for, for their actions and for their, their, their behavior and what they do. But whether or not it's the individual and their own choices or the bad teaching, preaching that they've heard, I would like to see us be able to clarify, rectify, correct that theology, ideology, philosophy, that somehow we have to be so upset, angry, mean, mad, frustrated all the time. Listen, if you and I understand the judgment of God that is coming on this world, and we understand that in the light of the unfathomable mercy and grace that He has shown to you and I, then how should we approach the world that does not believe? Should we go to them with vitriol and anger, just screaming and yelling about how awful they are, how terrible they are, how bad they are, how rotten they are, how filthy and dirty and disgusting they are? This is what the Word says, and you're not doing it. This is what the Bible says, and you're not doing it. I would like to say to the believer that does that, you're saying all of that to them, And you're not doing it either. That is not what God called us to do. Listen to what Paul says in verse 11. Right after he says, we we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is not the final judgment. The judgment seat of Christ is the judgment of the believer when they pass from this life into eternity. It is the gate through which we enter. It is the judgment seat. David would sit at the gate of Jerusalem, the great city of David. He would sit there as the troops would come home from battle. And as they would go underneath of the gate, he would approve of them. He would 
bestow honor and greatness and privilege and, and, and glory on them and say, come into this great city, you who have labored, you who have gone and fought to protect us and you have gone and served the king. When you and I leave this life and we enter into eternity, it'll be Jesus that welcomes us. Just like the soldiers coming home into the city of David, Jerusalem, we will pass by that same judgment seat that David would sit on. But it, will, it won't be David. It'll be the son of David, Jesus, that'll welcome us home. But understanding and knowing the horrible, awful state, eternal state of those who do not know the love and mercy and have not received the, the, the salvation that Jesus offers. Knowing the judgment, the knowing what that hell is the eternal absence of peace and comfort, the eternal absence of love, the eternal absence of God, His mercy, His grace. Living with the regret and the shame of their actions, their error. If we as believers understand that, and we truly are the children of God, God so loved the world, Jesus loved us, He gave Himself, and He's now called us to go and to teach all nations. Go and teach them what? The exact opposite of what He did while He was here? No. To go and do likewise. If we understand the judgment that's coming, Jesus knows what's coming. That's why he came to earth so that he could be the son that God so loved so that he could die in order to forgive and to pay the penalty for all of our sin. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but rather that the world through Him might be saved. The world is already condemned because they have not believed in the only name that can save. It is not, it is not incumbent upon us as believers to prove that the world is sinful. The Bible already says they are. What, what we are to do where we enter the picture is we come along and we do what Jesus did and show the love of God. Well, Paul says in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Think about that. Think about that statement. And the King James Version, it says it like this. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. If you know what God is going to do in judgment against the sin of this world, those who are under the authority and the control of Lucifer, if you understand the judgment that is coming on them, and now I'm being a little 
what we would call it, smart-tastic, smart-aleck, sarcastic when I say this. From some of the talk that I hear from some believers, oh, you know all about the judgment of the Lord. This is all you ever talk about. You know, you you look, boy, you are ready for it to happen. You want to be there and watch it all take place. You can't wait until it happens. It's like it's your will to, your desire. The Bible says it's not the will of God that any should perish, but rather that all should come to repentance. So now you're at odds with the one that you are telling everyone else is coming to judge them because they are at odds with him. You talk about what God's going to do. God's going to get them. God's going to judge this world. He is. He is. And if you truly understand that, and if you truly are a child of God, then you're going to do all you can to persuade men to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. In your insults, your arguments, your put-downs, your, your insinuations, they're not doing anything to persuade men of the love of God. You're turning them away. Well, I tell you what, brother, my dad, he used to set me straight. Well, he must not have set you straight enough because you're still acting out when you shouldn't. If you truly know the love of God, and if you truly know the terror of the Lord, then you will do all you can to persuade men and if you true, because you love them, because he loves them, because Jesus loves them, because the Holy Spirit loves them. If you truly know the terror of the Lord, the judgment that is coming, and it is coming. Jesus once said to the Pharisees, there are many of you who are standing here today who will not taste of death until you see the Son of Man coming in clouds of glory. And I want to say to those of you who are running afoul of the love of God that that statement was not just written to the Pharisees of that day and that statement was not written to those who profess unbelief. He said that to those who thought they were the sole arbiters of salvation and that they were the heirs of the kingdom of heaven. And Pharisees certainly exist in the church today. There stood before them Jesus in the flesh and they attacked him. Because he would not go and attack, lash out against the Gentile world that had enslaved the people of God. He would not fight, so they thought him a coward. He would not lash out, so they thought him weak. 
He would not declare how everyone, everybody was rotten, filthy, wretched, evil people. He would not stand on the street corner and call out. Oh, that's, a, that's one of my favorite things. We got to call out the sin of this world. <laughs> if judgment's going to begin, let it begin in the house of God. Let's call out the sin in the church before we try to call out the sin in the world because the world doesn't know any better. We do. Jesus wouldn't call out the sin. Think about the woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus said, where are your accusers? Once he said to the men who were gathered there that day, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. They all drop their stones, walk away, and Jesus says, where are your accusers? And the woman says, They're not, there's no one left. They all, they all walked away. Jesus, the only one who could accuse her, said, neither do I accuse you. Go and sin no more. That's right, brother. He said, go and sin no more. Come on. Come on. You're smarter than that. You're better than that. Don't fall for the lies of the devil. You know what that means. In your heart of hearts, you know exactly what that means. That woman that day had come to know the love of God in Christ Jesus the Lord. And that woman also stood face to face with the judgment of God. And she knew that he alone had the power and authority to end her existence. And what did he do? He gave her new life. What is the purpose of the church? It is not to be the watchdog of God here on this earth to go about and declare all of the wrongs that we see. My goodness gracious. You won't make it out of your front door before you have already spent 24 hours declaring all of the evil and sin and wretchedness in this world because you live in that house. And there's plenty in you to keep you busy. God's already said that the unbelieving world is condemned. But He sent not His Son into the world to condemn, but that the world through Him might be saved. then why are his people plagued by unhappiness? Well, to put it blunt, because many don't know about the love of God. Brother, if you talk about the love of God, you're, you are making sin permissible. Huh. So if your father loved you, and was good to you, and did not beat you, did not insult you, did not do all he could to drive you into the dirt, then he wasn't a good father. Is that what you're saying? Because that's what it sounds like you're saying to me. And I know that that's not who God the Father is. It is through His love. It is through His grace that we come to know His goodness. Now, before I end the podcast, I want to tell you a quick story. 
I remember hearing one time a man tell that when he was young, he got a little wild one night, got a little crazy, and his dad had to come pick him up. His dad had to come and pick him up from a party and said he fully expected that his dad was going to chew him out, light him up. The man tells that when his dad picked him up, his dad didn't have an angry look on his face. His dad was not yelling and screaming. So when they got in the vehicle, that the dad didn't slam the door. Dad didn't turn off the music and grip the steering wheel tightly. No. Said it was just a normal car ride home. The man said, boy, when we get to the house, that's when he's going to really let me have it. He said he dreaded, dreaded <laughs> when they could get home. When they got home, so they got out of the car. Dad didn't say anything. Didn't didn't have an angry look on his face or anything. So they walked in the house. And the dad never said a word. And said the boy finally said, Dad, aren't you mad at me? And he said, Son, I'm disappointed. But I love you. The man said, I would have rather my dad beaten me within an inch of my life than to see him and hear him say, I'm disappointed. Yelling, screaming, losing control, those aren't the attributes of God the Father. They're certainly not the attributes of a good father here on earth. Knowing the judgment that Almighty God will one day bring on this earth and knowing the unbelievable goodness and mercy that we have personally come to experience. Should we not be so joyful, so happy, so grateful, overflowing with excitement, confident and at peace, knowing that our salvation has been secured and that we are free from the judgment that one day will come on the unbeliever? Knowing that God is going to, as a good father will do, God is going to correct us for the purpose of perfecting us, making us better. Not just to break us down and punish us and beat us up and cause us to feel shame. Knowing that love. And knowing that we are free from the judgment that's coming. Man, shouldn't we just 
just be gushing about the goodness of God, overflowing with joy. Should they not be saying of the church, those people, those people are truly, truly happy. And they can see that happiness in us when they see us face to face. Not just in the filtered, set up photos that we share on social media. Are you happy? You might be driving or I'd ask you if you're happy and you know it stomp your feet. Are you happy? Do you understand just how good God is to us? What a wonderful father he is. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, then you know the judgment that's coming because the Holy Spirit is going to make that clear. Now don't go out and act the exact opposite of how Jesus acted while he was here on this earth. Go out and act the way that a happy, healthy child of a good father would act. Go out and live with confidence and peace and joy. Happy in Him. If ever there were a people that should be happy. It's us, the children of God, God's people.